0: Welcome back to Unfiltered with me, Matt Farnsworth. Every life is a tapestry of experiences, challenges, triumphs, and transformations. Some lives, however, transcend the usual. They become emblematic of human resilience, dedication, and raw power. Today's guest is a testament to all of that and much more, from battling the harrowing grip of addiction to entertaining thoughts of ending it all. This incredible woman has not only pulled herself out of those depths, but has risen to break competitive records. Inspiring countless individuals in the span of just 16 months during a global pandemic, she undertook an awe-inspiring mind-body transformation. Her accolades? The unofficial Canadian squat record holder, and more impressively, the world record holder for her division in deadlift. April is at the forefront of a new battle, though, a battle of fairness and integrity in sports. April stands firmly with her belief that while every individual deserves respect and acknowledgement of their identity, there remains an inherent biological advantage that makes it unfair for transgender women, those born male but identifying as female, to compete in women's sports. April's stance echoes sentiments shared by other athletes, like champion swimmer Riley Gaines, advocating for fairness in competition. Today, we are here to unravel her path to success in sobriety, and we're here to navigate the complex issues she is facing, to understand the story behind the headlines, and more importantly, to hear from the heart of the person who's living it. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us on Unfiltered is April Hutchinson. Hey everyone, since we're a fresh new show, it would be absolutely incredible to have your support. If you're finding value in our content, please hit that subscribe button below and ring that notification bell. It's a quick click for you, but it's a massive boost for our channel. Unfiltered with Matt Farnsworth. I mean, me personally, like weightlifting is it. It saved me, like saved my life. I absolutely love training. Um, I'm getting a little bit older, so I'm getting a little sore. I gotta say my shoulders are starting to feel it. Um, how old are you?
1: I was gonna say, I think we're the same age. I'm 47. Are you really? Yeah.
0: Wow, you do not look 47 <laughs> years old. I, um,
1: I'm, I'm I'm quite shocked, actually. I, th- I said that to myself yesterday. I'm surprised I don't look more <laughs> weathered or something because I, <laughs> I I like smoked a pack of cigarettes a day with that alcohol, so I'm like I'm pretty mm-hmm. I'm pretty lucky.
0: <laughs> really? So how? I mean, how long did that go on? Like, I mean, we're you know, on this podcast, we get into recovery, we get into sobriety. I mean, from up, from what I have seen online, and I've I've watched a lot of your stuff, and I vibe with it like totally. I'm I'm on your page. Um, wh- where did this all start? Like, when did you when did you actually start using drugs or alcohol? How did that begin for you, and what was that experience like?
1: Um, I think I, I started drinking like pretty young. I grew up in an alcoholic family and my father was an alcoholic. Um, So I, it was always around me. I think I had my first drink when I was probably five years old um, on New Year's Eve. I had champagne and orange juice. Mm -hmm. So, but when I started really drinking was kind of during puberty between 12 and 16, Mm -hmm. more so as a way to, um, I, I, I touched on this topic the other day with another podcast. I had a lot of sexual trauma growing up as a kid. Sexual abuse. So when I went into puberty, I kind of used alcohol as a kind of a self-esteem builder, just to kind of blend in with kids my age, especially with boys, because I was always afraid of, like, you know, a to be around boys. I always thought they were going to maybe hurt me, um, but just to feel comfortable as I got older, dating and just to uh, even just kiss a boy, like, you know, it was very awkward for me. So, um, and I just used it as a way to cope as as a kid. I. I mean, it wasn't something I used as an adult. I used it as a when I was a kid to cope with to, with stresses, you know, and you think, oh, what kind of stress could a kid have right? but
0: <laughs> that really bothers me. It really bothers me that you know kids get hurt like this, and I think that the addiction really right it stems from a predisposition to alcoholism and also abuse. I mean things that we suffered that we don't know how to deal with that we never got the help for. we kept it hidden how did that work for you? I mean, you know, alcohol did, when you first had it, it was alcohol first, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. I started off with, with alcohol and then I discovered probably drugs. I mean, when I grew up, it was like, um, you know, hash and marijuana, right? So you kind of dabbled in that and cigarettes, um, wasn't until my early twenties that I got into harder stuff like cocaine and ecstasy and stuff like that. Alcohol was always my major one though. Like, um, And you know what? And I kind of thank alcohol for the fact that I didn't get addicted to something like cocaine because I was always so drunk that it doesn't matter what drug I took. The alcohol kind of evened me out, and I would lose my high. Like, oh, I'll see you later. I'm gonna leave this party now. So, um,
0: yeah. So yeah, yeah, alcohol. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, yeah. It takes you up really quickly. You know, it gives you that lift. The first three drinks and then it never comes back like and the problem is you got to keep chasing it and that's really the issue with alcohol mm-hmm. it's like okay now i need the fourth drink fifth drink sixth drink seventh drink and then i've been then a I blackout and then it's like oh you know you hear about what you did the next day um but that was my my plight. i was like oh, dude, i always blacked out
1: yeah i was gonna ask you like what kind of there's all these different types of drinkers right and like i'm the same as you that's what i was gonna ask you was like for me you know, I would always have a plan to have one or two, like, oh, I could be civilized, have a nice dinner with my friends, have a glass of wine. But as soon as it hit my lips, I just, we, we metabolize it much differently than other people. And it was like, as soon as I got that taste and it hit my reward center, I was like, that's it. My plan was to get bombed. Like, I want to have a good sleep. I want to black out that night. So I don't want to yep. feel anything. Right. So
0: that dopamine fix, just yeah. the instant pleasure. And it, and it's incredible the way it plays with the uh, neurochemistry in our brain and the neuroplasticity in our brain. I've learned a lot about that recently. And for people like us, like the neural pathway is built and the pleasure center is there. Like you were saying, it's like a direct, it's like a hallway. And at the end of the hallway is alcohol. Mm-hmm. And it's the only thing that we see. It's like we just see the end of the hallway. And we only see alcohol. We don't realize that there's other doorways we can open and, and start creating other positive reinforcements. We just keep going for that one because it's easy and it feels good. And we don't want to deal with all the pain and, and trouble, you know, that cause us to go there.
1: No, exactly. And the you would know too, like when you're drinking, I mean, when you're addicted to something, that's the only thing that consumes your mind. Like I always held a, like a job. I had a full time I was a kind of I guess a functioning alcoholic for a very long time, but I would plan my day around when I was gonna drink. So I would work till eight o'clock at night and I knew which of liquor stores were open until 10. So I mean, I didn't think like, oh, maybe I should go to the gym and lift weights or, you know, do something else to make myself feel better or to release my anxiety. Right. So.
0: Yeah, that's that's exactly how I was. And and I, I was physical, but like I didn't lift enough. Like I didn't go to the gym the way I should. I didn't have the I really honestly I didn't have the discipline.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I didn't have the discipline. I didn't have that strategy at all in mind and so just like going back you the abuse that you suffered right in the emotional sobriety realm when we talk about emotional sobriety because i know you wanted to touch on that for sure and we can go right into it um that triggered you i'm sure to be like you said untrustworthy with boys um skeptical about dating um, do, did you feel guilty? How, what was the, what were the feelings that you felt, you know, and did you feel like it was your fault? I know a lot of kids feel that way. Um, how, how did this, what happened? Like, how did you feel like, what did, what did it do to you that you can now look back on and say being sober and so far out of it and successful and all these great things? What happened? Like, how did you, how did you, how did you get through this?
1: Well, I mean, at the time it happened, I thought. I had done something wrong. I remember going home the last time he had touched me um, and I ran home and I hid under my bed. My dad was on the police force at that time. And again, he, I grew up with an alcoholic. So all I knew was yelling and rage around my house. Right. So, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, so I thought he was going to yell at me and spank me when he found out what happened. I totally thought it was my fault. I thought it was okay. Um, I got taken to the doctors and I kind of knew it was bad. But after that, I, I started being promiscuous with all the kids in the neighborhood. Cause I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. uh, show me yours. I'll show you mine kind of thing. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay for the longest time um, until I went into puberty. Right. And then I got scared. Cause I thought, Oh, like I'm changing. My body's changing. I got to wear big clothes, hoodies. I remember hiding from my dad and my brother. Cause I thought they would abuse me too. Like anyone. So, um, Which is crazy. And I, you know, I still had that feeling even going up into my teenage years, right? I thought, oh, my God, my uncle's going to try to touch me. Like, it was, it's just crazy. And it took me a lot of therapy to get through it. But even to this day, something will trigger in my mind. Like, something will happen. Like, a man will whistle at me or do something. I'll be like, oh, that effing pig. Like, of course. What what a guy. Like, you know, he's just like, all he wants is sex. Like, just that negative Mm -hmm. attitude towards men. You know what I mean? Which,
0: it's not untrue,
1: <laughs> and I hate I hate being like that because I can't put you know everyone in the same basket, right? So
0: yeah, I mean, men by nature can be pigs. I, I'll totally yeah. agree. You guys have more uh, testosterone. I get it. <laughs> yeah, and testosterone. I noticed it like at the gym. Like my wife's really attractive. We go to the yes. gym, and it's just crazy. It's like you know, nobody's on this giant cable machine upstairs. Nobody. <laughs> we go over there, and it's like. She starts just doing some tricep, extension, tricep extensions and whoosh, 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 whoosh. Within two minutes, there's like every machine in the vicinity is taken and it's all men. Yeah, it's I like, see? okay. Yeah. I mean, you deal with that. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah. men, yeah. And, and I, I just, I look at that and I say, wow, you know, for you to survive that and then come out of it, w- was there a time that you thought like, Of ending it like I'm done with this like did how bad did it get like when you were in your addiction you were using you were in high school um Mm -hmm. you 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 said you had a job you were figuring out when the liquor stores opened and you were going to drink and what happened like when you were in your worst of it what did that look like you're drinking
1: oh so so yeah so I started off as a teenager drinking um as you would know it's a very progressive disease right so I went to rehab in my early twenties and I went for the wrong reasons. I actually kind of went to get a guy back because we had a big fight and I was like, Oh, he was like, you drink too much. So I checked myself into rehab, came out. That did not work because we didn't get back together. Mm-hmm. I drank for, I mean, a period of long time, but my mother passed away when I was 25 and uh, that really like, she was my best friend, right? So that was a really hard time in my life. So obviously that didn't help my drinking. Um, but in 2005, I went to a rehab and it worked. It was one of the best rehabs in Ontario where I live. I came out, I was seven years sober. At that time, I was doing a lot of like modeling work and I was doing photography. So I was traveling throughout, you know, it was a great life. I was like doing photo shoots, modeling, And then I met a photographer in Paris, France, and we fell in love in Paris. It's just like you'd Mm -hmm. see on the movies. And while I was there, I thought, wow, life is so great right now. I am so happy. I'm going to have a glass of wine to celebrate this. I'm okay. I'm just going to have one glass of wine. So yeah. at the end of the, the week, when I went back on the airplane, I had two bottles of wine in me by then. So... That did not work. And you know what? That relapse was horrible because I have never been so, like, so it took me another seven years or no, actually 2011. It took me like, yeah, eight years to get sober again. It was so hard. And I got so sick at the end that my doctor gave me basically, she's like, you know, if you keep drinking the way you're drinking, I'll give you a year tops, year to two tops to live because at the end i was so sick my body was literally shutting down like i i couldn't cross the street or go to a liquor store without literally throwing up like it was crazy i couldn't control i'd be driving my car i would throw up um, i was my, my skin was yellow um, i i tried so hard my friends around me actually tried to wean me off the alcohol and i couldn't do it i would go to the next day and i would be convulsing that I needed that drink, and the one day, I mean, my boyfriend at the time left me. Um, I felt like I had nothing. I was still working, but I mean, I I just felt very hopeless. I I literally just didn't want to live anymore. So I ended up overdosing on some pills and uh, woke up in a the ICU and on a breathing tube. So mm-hmm. um, that was probably. <laughs> It was my eye opener right there. Um, mm-hmm. I did come to the hospital. I did start drinking again, um, thinking that I was like immortal. Like I could just be fine. But I, again, I was just so sick that I was like, I, got, I have to stop this. And I checked myself into a rehab. So,
0: I've, I've done the same thing. I, I, did, I left the hospital. I drank. Yeah. I broke my neck. I broke my neck in a car accident. Really? You know, left, oh, yeah. Left the hospital. I mean, I was holding my <laughs> neck like this in a neck brace trying to make my way I uh, trying to make my way to the cl- this the, the nearest liquor store. So it's funny when I hear people say like on these on the videos that I create, I'll create a video about alcohol being a poison and I'll put it up on YouTube. It's got all kinds of views and people are really angry that I'm saying it's a poison. And they're okay. saying you just need to learn to control yourself, you know? <laughs> it's like you don't understand. You, there there's there's this is a big world and there's a lot of different kinds of people. And not everybody can control themselves. Not everybody has that in them. They have a predisposition to alcoholism Mm -hmm. and they're not going to stop. Like I wasn't going to stop. And there are people out there that I've heard too. And and recently I've heard that it doesn't, you don't have to have a lot of trauma in your childhood. You could just be someone that has um, what's called telescoping. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't
1: heard of that. What is that?
0: My last podcast, someone told me that telescoping means that everything for you happens faster than it would for others because you have the predisposition. So say you're a drinker that start you're a drinker, you start drinking. When you start drinking, you could be the kind of person if you telescope that would end up drinking daily after 6 months. Whereas an alcoholic who doesn't telescope might take two or three years before they end up in a, a big, uh, you know, tailspin of using every single day. But telescoping means it happens really, really fast. And all of the disease progresses really quickly. And you black out faster. All of those things happen to you because you have this predisposition to telescoping. And I thought that was
1: Yeah, cool. that's, that's very interesting. I wonder... it's funny i like the the word telescoping because it's like i feel like i do everything in my life that way like it's just like everything's fast and i want it now and stuff like that but um yeah i think Mm -hmm. in the beginning like honestly when i started drinking i could and that's the thing with me i was always into sports so like i was drinking but i could remember rollerblading outside and i'd be drunk and have a six pack of beer with me in my knapsack and then I, any sport that I played, I still up to when I went to rehab. I went to the gym. I would work out and then I would go puke right after. And my yeah. trainer's like, "I can the alcohol is coming out of your pores." I'm like, "I know, but I'm trying to make an effort here." Don't you see that? <laughs> so, so I, you know, I think my boyfriend said the other day, like you're you were fit and your genes probably helped you
0: yeah. get
1: through all of this because if I wasn't taking care of myself, I probably wouldn't even survived the the last attempt. So.
0: Yeah, I I doubt it. And I I feel you on that. I mean, when I was younger, I played sports all through high school. I've always been really athletic. And I could drink. I could get wasted. I wouldn't be wasted playing necessarily. But i had been wasted the night before to the point you could smell it. I mean, I was fuming, you know, with alcohol. Um, So yeah,
1: how did you I would like to know? um, How did you get sober? Because you said you've been sober now for 13 years. And you were kind of similar, like you relapsed, and then, like, can you kind of tell me a little bit about how you did it? And
0: sure, yeah, I my story is really funky. Um, I had trouble when I was a kid, like I was when I was young, even in high school. I was I was drinking at fourteen, and I started drinking on a regular
1: mm.
0: after that, and I enjoyed it. It made me feel really good. I really liked the way I felt. I felt like this is who I am. You know and so i just i just drank all through high school got into trouble drinking quite a bit managed to make it through moved down to la started doing some acting made some movies was on a tv show did some stuff like that and still drank through it met a woman she got pregnant i decided i need to stop i got a kid coming so my son is born and i just stopped drinking for 13 years oh. touch i was like i'm not going to touch it and i I really fought like it was kind of white knuckling it because like you said you went to rehab but you didn't really try you weren't really spiritually involved you weren't really buying into the program i just kind of stopped i disconnected from it because i knew i had to and i have a lot of willpower so i was able to do that and then after 13 years of not drinking I just picked up a drink one day in a bar as they were taking a tray past me when we were shooting a movie in this this bar in Long Beach. It's tequila, and I just shot it. 13 years, just boom. And within six months, I had flipped that car. So within two or three weeks, I was drinking daily. Mm-hmm. I was struggling with a divorce that I was going through. I The relationship wasn't working out in the end, and I didn't know how to cope with it, didn't know how to handle it. So essentially, I'd been sober 13 years. And then in 2014, I had this accident, this car accident, because I had relapsed and I, I was a mess. I ended up having to go to recovery. They forced me. They're like, legally, you have to go. You have a felony DUI. You have flipped your car over three other vehicles into oncoming traffic. You are a hot mess. Go to rehab. So I reluctantly went. And I started seeing that the people that participated and really gave it their all came to the table at the group, cared about the others in the group, did well. So I was like, I better I better do this. Like I better try to like actually start to communicate and, and understand what's going on with myself. And that's when I said, oh yeah, I mean, I got a lot of problems, a lot. And i never looked at them. So that 13 years, I was just like white knuckling it. And I say that often that I just white knuckled it. And in that rehab, I started to really get sober uh for real like emotionally deal with the issues that i had and it went it went great for me i mean i i I got very fortunate i spent six months living there so i spent a long time living there and that was to keep my ass out of jail to be honest with you Mm -hmm. because if i didn't like stay in that was probation approved it wasn't a really nice facility it was a really good facility it wasn't luxury it was just this will get you through the court system and you won't have to go to jail potentially so i did it and sure enough it worked my life really started to turn around so that's kind of how things went for me but i had always had a problem with it um i was never i never had didn't have a rough life early on i mean we didn't have a lot of money early on like that kind of thing but i never was like i had one issue in high school with, with a teacher and i've mentioned this before he was my basketball coach and you know he was a creep and he eventually 20 years later Ended up getting bust, busted for child pornography, but he did try to do, he did try to mess with me in um, the locker room one time when I was in middle school in basketball, and I told on him. I told my mom. Well, my mom called the school and she was like, "Don't ever do that again." Well, of course, I got kicked off the basketball team, right? <laughs> right? And he was the science teacher, so I ended up failing science, F. So that's when my friendships started to change. So if I could, if I could go back and I could tell you like a point in time when it happened to me. When like Mm -hmm. things started to change, well, all the athletes, like you were saying, you were an athlete that I, the athletes that I hung out with, I no longer had that friendship circle because I was off the team Mm -hmm. and then I became a failure, right? All because of this, this pedophile. And that's when I met some other kids who were into different stuff and I started to drink and that's when I got introduced to it. Now I would have had the predisposition to it anyway, Yeah. it happened sooner because of people who are predators, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But that's kind of my story. And now I've been sober for eight years. So eight years, July 9th, And my life transformed dramatically, dramatically after recovery and gaining some humility and some insight into kind of who I was, and what that monster was that was inside of me, and understanding that and being able to recognize it when it starts to happen, and control it versus act on it. And that's kind of where I've I've been living for a while and it's getting, it's getting better and better and better. The gifts of sobriety, they just keep coming.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny when you, when you mentioned emotional sobriety, um, I think that's the one thing that's different this time around for me is that I didn't have that so much before. And also before I wasn't, I wasn't very public about my disease. I kept it kind of hidden and I was kind of ashamed Mm -hmm. of it. Let's be honest. Like, you know, there's still a little bit of a stigma attached to it. And I mean, So I think the more and more I post about it in my Instagram or talk about it, it actually helps me stay sober. And I get so much like love from people. Like I get people messaging me, I'm sure you do all around the world saying thank you. And, um, but the emotional sobriety part, like this year has been like very stressful for me, but, and I can't even say I've had any cravings to drink at all, but I've been really good at, now my boyfriend probably finds this really annoying, but like I'm really good at sitting with my feelings and talk. Like I need to talk, right? So if there's something going on with me and my boyfriend, I will sit on that couch for an hour and talk with him until I got it figured out in my brain and right. I feel better. I can't, cause I do get on edge and, and that's the time where I would go for a drink, right? If something, as you would yeah. know, we find something un- unacceptable in our lives that we can't handle Well, that's when we drink. So I do, I'm really good at working things out, talking it through but if i'm feeling something in that day i i do like a a body scan and i scan my body and i go okay where am i what am i feeling here how can i get rid of it could it be going for a walk could i could i call my dad on the phone talk to him like whatever it is but i'm really good at sitting with my feelings and i never did that before like i always just like fuck this <laughs> just like mm-hmm. get angry anger anger is always my first emotion i'm sure you totally can relate right so
0: oh yeah yeah. get pissed off real easy. Um, it's easy to get angry mm-hmm. and be resentful and bitter
1: yeah. about
0: something. Um, but I, that's a, you just said exactly what I was talking about earlier with the neural pathways. So like before it was just, I got angry. Where's the booze? I'm frustrated. Where's the booze? I didn't hear the news I wanted. Where's the booze? I have these expectations that are not being met. Where's the booze? And yeah. then there's that, that pathway at the end of the hall where we see alcohol. What you're talking about is using the tools to go down different doorways. So to build different doorways down that hallway, instead of running to the alcohol, I have a lot of anxiety today. Uh, I need to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. You know, I like you said, I'm having emotional issues. I need to sit down and talk with my spouse or my boyfriend and work through it instead of just running to the booze.
1: Yeah. And I and I know when I came out of rehab too. Um, I don't know if you did this, but I had such a sweet tooth, and I was craving chocolate every night or or gummy. I like I still love like gummy bears or something. So I mm-hmm. I would eat a whole bag of gummy bears when I came out, and I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna get fat. Like this is horrible. But then I was like, no, this is so much better than alcohol, and it's a phase. And mm-hmm. within three months, I got off that little sweet tooth, right? And I replaced it with something else. Like now I'll have like a protein shake at night or something sweet, like protein ice cream. But like, I didn't beat myself up for doing that because even now, if I'm feeling stressed and I have a bowl of ice cream, I'm not like, oh, like I don't beat myself up because it, it's not alcohol. Because I just know, like we said, alcohol will kill me. It's just so. I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just much much I, I, better.
0: <laughs> I've been there, and I I have had issues with eat. I ate a little too much sometimes. But when I got out of rehab, I was like,
1: <laughs> me too.
0: I'm going to the gym. I was like getting ripped. I didn't have a license for a year, and I did not drive one day. I rode my bike all over. So I had this apartment in Seal Beach, and I would ride to Long Beach and go to Gold's Gym. And that's where I really started, like, really lifting, yeah. like, with power lifters. I used to work out at Venice Gold's in, in L.A., and that place is crazy. It's like, that's a different world. That's yeah. not even, like, real life. Like, people don't look real there. You go in, and there's so much trend rocking around. Yeah. You, right? don't,
1: yeah.
0: you, you don't even know, like, what is this? Is this how much human growth hormone is in this place? Like, uh, could I get high just walking around? I, I mean, I could probably just, if somebody's sweat dripped on me, I would be bigger. Yeah, exactly. um, it, was, it was crazy, but it took me, you know, the riding the bike from, you know, six or seven miles a day, one would one direction, six or seven the other way, lifting in between, that kept me sane during that time period when I was trying to figure out okay, who the hell am I? What am I going to do with my life? Because I don't have the same life I used to have. I'm not married anymore. I'm not with the same woman. I still have two kids I need to take care of. I'm never going to be able to do show business again because it's just too demanding. It's not good for um, recovery. And, you know, the people are not the greatest in that industry. So I started to uh, try to figure out who I was going to be. So I started doing personal training because I liked weightlifting so much. And so... I'm sure that this kind of thing happened to you too, right? I mean, you're in recovery and then, I mean, you're, you're, you hold the world record for deadlift. Is that right?
1: I have the North, the North American record.
0: North American record.
1: Yeah. So I have, I have a record holder for North American deadlift.
0: Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I've seen you deadlift and I'm just like, I deadlift, <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't think I could put up what you're putting up. You know, I mean, that was, that's crazy. What is it? 485 or 435 or?
1: Oh, uh, no. So the North American, it actually wasn't even my highest. My highest ever was 510. Um, which I did during COVID. And then the, the North American's 44. That's actually pretty low for me. Um, I just pulled 507 last year at Worlds. And, um, but yeah, like no, no, I, I mean, I'm very impressed with my, like, I'm very happy about that. I just always yeah, have these high like, expectations of myself.
0: <laughs> uh huh. I mean, I got to do the math on that. So like, if I'm here, I got forty-five pound plates, right?
1: <laughs>
0: so I usually put like the max, I'll put like three plates on each side, right? So that's forty-five times seven, right? That's three fifteen.
1: Yeah, three fifteen. That's usually the three yeah. plate mark. Um, mm-hmm. which is a milestone for a lot of people. Like, you know, that's good.
0: <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> oh my god, it's
1: so hey. I so my boyfriend, he's a firefighter. I lift yeah. more than all the firemen at the hall, so that's but that's because of years of training. That's like literally training every day. So
0: how do I, I mean, give us some tips. I mean, we're, we're not on the sobriety thing, but I kind of want to know because I'm here. Like, give us some tips on the weightlifting. Like, seriously, like when I'm in a deadlift, I mean, what are, if you're going to coach me through it, I want to do, I want to bump up from 315. I want to put 25s on each side. Let's go. I don't know, let's go to 350 or whatever. Um, and I just want to do one rep. How do I not blow my back out at my age? Like, seriously. like yeah, so I-
1: That's the thing. So even with me now, I've been doing this for a while. And you like when I first started, I mean, some of the gym bros were like, here, they put three plates on, they go, go lift it. And I foolishly did that. And I was like, oh, I tweaked my back. You always mm-hmm. have to warm up. Like, even now I'll go, I'll, I'll warm up with just the bar and I'll do some, like, some like RDLs just to get me loose. And yeah. then you put two plates on, or, um, one plate, 245s on there, and then put another one, and you, you accumulate up to that point, right? So you just mm-hmm. never go in and just lift 315, right? You just, yeah, I know. do 20 pound jumps personally. They feel, it feels comfortable with that. I used to do mm-hmm. 30 pound jumps, but, um, I kind of, tr- I just basically changed my method of, um, training lately. So. No, you just you have to work up to that. and I say that to anyone because a lot of these young kids, especially in the gym, just go. They end up injuring themselves. Same thing goes with bench press and squats. Like you just have to slowly work up your way up. I know people get impatient, but you're really going to save yourself a lot of time and injury if you don't.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah I mean I always start out with you know I usually go to 45s to start and then just go from there. It's pretty light for me I mean I'll stretch some but I haven't tried the RDL prior to it just to get some stretch going in the lower back yeah and at my age, I definitely definitely feel it. You, you, know? you
1: asked sumo or con- conventional deadlift
0: Just conventional yeah
1: see so I started I actually roll the bar. If you see the way I do it, I actually roll the bar into myself. Um because I'm so tall, I'm almost six feet tall, so it's very um some, somewhat uncomfortable for me to deadlift because my legs are so long. So I don't like sumo, so I actually just roll the bar into me. The kind of like Eddie Hall, a lot of strong men do that as well. So
0: hmm Yeah. And then over under.
1: Yes. Switch grip, yes, definitely.
0: <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean I always do that. I, I, I've been doing it like mm, pretty hardcore for like five years, but yeah. Now I'm not trying to like compete, so I don't usually beat myself up to the point where I need to bump it up past three plates because um, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm nervous about getting injured. But that's impressive. So North American record. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's jump into it. So the the issue of the um, we can talk more about sobriety because I want to. I do. I don't want to like get away from that, but you know, you've been in the media quite a bit and this is, is, you know, revolving around and I'm looking at my notes here, the transgender athletes that are competing in your particular sport. And this has affected you and you've been speaking out publicly against the unfairness that is now obvious in these sports in women's sports. And you know, what was the turning point for you to see this happening? And when did you start to publicly voice your opinions about this?
1: Well, I, I first noticed it uh, a couple of years ago. So I was training. So I honestly have to go backwards a little bit. So 2019 is when I went into rehab. And when I came out of rehab, I literally started powerlifting. So,
0: yeah, I should have asked that. So you it, started – That's when, that that was like your – your motivation yeah. here, you found, you found something there. I mean, let's, let's just touch on that really quick. So you were coming out of rehab and yeah. I should have asked this. So it was lifting. You got into it. What, what sparked, what happened?
1: Yeah. So I, I came out of rehab and I was like, well, I want to keep active. I did dabble a little bit in powerlifting training when I used to do, I used to do MMA um, a couple of years ago. I think I told you I did like a cage fight and that was so mm-hmm. one of my coaches who's a retired UFC fighter Chris Clements, he was like, "Well, you should do powerlifting. Really helps with the explosiveness." So I was like, "Cool." So I, I just really enjoyed it. My, my body, I have like, I'm really good with like, fast twitch fiber sports, right? So, um, so when I came out, I got into it, and now, interesting enough, that's when COVID hit. So I was training for a couple months, then all the gyms closed down. Well, did I not freak out because I mean, I was filled with fear because I thought, oh, this is what's keeping me sober, <laughs> even though there's more to it than that. But I was like, I need to work out. So my, my coach at that time opened his own gym in his garage. So during COVID, I trained through a garage at a garage every day for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. So within a short amount of time, I qualified for nationals. Then when things opened up. I went to nationals. I went to worlds all in the same year. It was it was crazy. Like people don't usually do that. So <laughs> um, Meant
0: to be, meant to be that, that is a, that's a God shot right there.
1: Exactly. So, um, and during this time, during COVID, I was talking to this other power lifter online by the name of Ann. And all this time I thought Ann was a, was a female. Be- he would refer to himself as like a she boy. I just thought, he was kind of like a butchy looking like girl kind of thing. Um, so we talked for like a year and then towards the end, we were talking about Laura Hubbard competing in the Olympics. And I was like, oh, like I said, men should not be competing. Like, so that's completely unfair. Like, and he's like, well, I'm a man. And I was like, you are? And I said, you didn't tell me that. He was like, yeah, I transitioned when I was like 21 years old. So I basically just, um, like I said, it's completely unfair. Like you should not be lifting. Like how far do you expect to go? And he's like, "Oh, I want to go to nationals. I want to go to the world." So I was just like, "Well, I'll raise hell if that happens because I will mm-hmm. not be quiet about that." That was my last words to him. He blocked and deleted me, and then for like a year after that, I was writing my federation, but they would just ignored me. And um, finally, I went and sought help from ICONS, which is a women's group in the States that helped Bradley Gaines, the swimmer. Um, also ICFS, Dr. Linda Blade, all these Olympic athletes just came, swooped me up in their arms and like helped me with all this stuff. I got a lawyer involved. They paid for my lawyer um, mm-hmm. because my, my federation was literally trying to threaten me with suspension off Team Canada because I was speaking up about this. Now that's Canada for you. We're like, I don't know know. know anything about our prime minister Trudeau. Like he's just like, uh, he's very, um, like he, he basically would agree with men lifting with women. Like he's all for that. So, I mean, it's really hard to fight a government that agrees with it. So I literally was the only Canadian athlete speaking out on this. It was very, very stressful. Like I lost a lot of sleep. It really beat me down mentally. Um, it, it caused me relationship problems. Like my boyfriend and I would be fighting all the time. Cause I was just so irritated all the time. Like he's like, whoa, <laughs> he was like, I know you're upset about this stuff, but don't take it on me. And yeah, it was, I wasn't doing well. Like I, I didn't have a craving for drinking, but I tell you, it's been very stressful the last year and a half. Finally, I've had some peace in the last like four months because we actually, all my speaking up has actually got the policy to change. So yes, it,
0: it's changed it, it's working
1: hell yeah like okay and, and you know what like i'm so excited because the conservative party here in canada just had a convention yesterday and they are pa- they're passing a policy to protect women in sports women's only bathrooms um shelters prisons um all this stuff that's been going on in the world like we're actually gonna try and have it passed and they're actually looking at it and we got a majority of vote for that so I was crying yesterday. I was so happy because, I mean, I have I have two nieces right to look after. Um, my boyfriend has three girls. Like I don't care if I was mm-hmm. if I don't powerlift anymore. I don't give a crap. <laughs> like I'm doing this for the future of sports, right? So.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, you're looking at Trudeau. I don't know what he can do to stop that. But I follow Jordan Peterson. I'm, I'm big into all of it. So I'm, I'm that guy, right? And yeah. so when you say that, it's interesting because you've been talking to this person for a year
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they failed to mention that they have a penis. Yeah. Well, they
1: don't have a penis anymore because they have the transition. They did have surgery. it
0: removed. So they but the, 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 the surgery, they, they did that. They removed the penis. But it doesn't
1: do anything. But That's, yeah. It's, it doesn't you're still, it matter.
0: It, Yeah. You're still raised to what age? Probably how old is this person?
1: Well, so... This person transitioned after the age 20. So he went through full-blown puberty. So the thing is, um, if he had transitioned at between before the age of 12, maybe you have to look at that differently, right? But he was a, he was a fully developed man with um, testosterone levels. Even if he takes hormones, that still doesn't negate the fact of your larger hands, your body, your like your body mass, right? Your bones. Um, or your muscle mass. Like mm-hmm. you would know, like men can have low testosterone. Like bodybuilders, when they go off their uh, their treatment, they have low testosterone, less than two point four nanomoles. But like, mm-hmm. look at how jacked and how muscular and how strong those guys are. Like it's crazy. Like,
0: no, yeah. So I, I I feel for you in that in that area, trying to do that and deal with that because you know I know that I mean for me it's like. And, and I, I don't say this often, but the whole leftist side, like the way that whole ideology, the way that's working, it's it's psychopathic.
1: Yeah, and they. And I'm sorry,
0: but it, it no, is. No, it's
1: they will try to ruin your life and silence you anyway. So when I first started this fight, people were calling me a bigot, calling me transphobic, and I actually got upset because I was like, "Well, that's not me. I'm not that. Like, I actually have a transgender. Like, one of my friends is." Um, transgender and like Mm -hmm. I've always been a big supporter of the LGB community as well. Like I just, I don't like when people knock my character because I'm actually a very empathetic and very compassionate person. Mm -hmm. Um, Even with this lifter and who wanted to lift, there was many times I actually cried for that person because I thought I don't want to take this away from them. But at the end of the day, it's wrong. And there's no ethics and integrity in sport if we let men compete with women. So I always said, like, create a separate category or an open category. I wasn't like, don't lift at all. Let's be fair. But you know what? I'm not anti trans. I'm pro woman. And I mean, you can't put women's rights on the back burner to appease this minority of people. But they're so strong and they're so loud and they will do anything, whether it's name calling or try to cancel you or try to get you fired from your job. Um, And I'm very big on, I mean, the pronoun use, um, my Federation put out a memo the one day that we ask you to use pronouns. I was on Pierce, Morgan. I don't know, two months ago, maybe, and I was talking about the whole pronoun usage. And I said, that's it's what Jordan said, it's compelled speech, you cannot force people to use pronouns. And I think people are getting mixed up with this whole idea of like, well, you have to well, no, it's suggested. But like, you can't force someone. I would be lying to myself every day if I said that a man was a woman or vice versa. How do you think that makes me feel integrity wise to lie to myself every day? I'm not here to affirm someone's identity. That's not my job in life. That has to come from within. I get my self esteem from within. They need to get their identity and their core identity from within themselves. They can't be putting that on me or you or anyone else.
0: Yeah. Well said. we're in sobriety, right? We're trying to keep a level head. We want to maintain our emotional balance, and it's really hard when governments are trying to get us to gaslight ourselves.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like gaslight yourself, lie to yourself. You know, the sky, the sky is not blue; it's green, it's purple. Believe it. It's very hard to live in clown world, and yeah. I, I have a difficult time with that personally. I really do. And my wife and I both do. It's 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 not an ideology that I have ever bought into. I have no prejudice. I just don't understand, I guess. Look, I've had friends and people I've trained who were married couples, uh, uh, two women that were married. They trained with me when I personally trained. Very nice people. Love them. Um, but they didn't they didn't put it in your face. They didn't constantly talk about, you know, look at us, we're together. Um, You know, tell us we're great. And, you know, you're a problem because you're a patriarchal white male. They didn't do that. They were just cool, you know? And I guess I don't understand. I don't run around with a flag saying, Hey, I'm straight. And this is how I live. Um, You need to, you know, be kind to me and and give me special priority. Look, That just doesn't, that doesn't work for me. I don't understand that type of mentality. And so it's hard for me to rationalize with that side and what's happening right now. And I'm sure it is for you too. And I'm sure I I haven't had to deal with it. Like you've had to deal with it personally in that space where they're actually taking women's rights away. I mean, you're taking, you've worked so hard for this, right? All these girls, you know, that have worked so hard to be in these positions. And then all of a sudden, you know, a biological male swoops in. And it's taken away. Yeah. So what is that? What is that doing to women's rights in general? In your opinion, I mean, what what's happening to women's rights if we allow this to continue?
1: Well, no, that's what I mean, like I said this on my interview like last year. I was like, trans rights do not uh, supersede or trump women's rights. it's you know we have worked so hard. I mean, we're not, and it's funny, a lot of people go like, well, where are the feminists? You know, the feminists asked for this because, you know, you guys wanted to be paid the same amount as a man and you guys wanted to play on the sports teams with men. That's like my biggest peppy when that happens because like, that's a totally different situation. And I mean, when we call this an ideology, that's exactly what it is. It's an ideology. It is not truth. It is not fact. Um, There's an expression that the truth will be silent, okay? We know our truth. We know the truth. We don't have to put it in people's faces. So it just goes to show that when they start yelling, like, oh, I'm this, I'm that, and blah, 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 they're covering up. They're, you know what I mean? That's They're so insecure. And that's they're just latching out, trying to get that from other people. And it's just like, cool. You know what? Just be yourself. Just be mm-hmm. comfortable in your own skin. No one's out to get you. We all, like, I mean, I think the human race is a pretty loving, supportive human race, right, at the end of the day. But it's true. It's like that parent that's like, do your homework, do your homework, do your homework. It keeps nagging you. Well, guess what? You're not going to do your homework. (laughs) You know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. It's a group. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's a group that will turn. Like, I think I heard Jordan Peterson say this extreme group of people will flip over the apple cart and scrounge for just a few apples and take everything away from everybody Mm -hmm. just to get what they want. It, It it. they don't even win, like essentially no. it's just it's kind of ruining it for for everyone, but they want that agenda pushed and I guess for me, I don't know it's just my my wife is very um she's more political than me, and she understands it better than I do, but I've listened to enough of it to understand what's happening, and we do have two kids in California schools, and I don't know if you have heard what's happening there, no. It's gotten really crazy. We are at a point now where they've just passed a bill in California that Elon Musk today was saying was very, very dangerous. And what this bill does is it says if the parents are getting divorced and they're now saying that the parents need to affirm the child's gender when the divorce is happening. And if the parent doesn't if the parents can't agree on the child's gender, or one of the parents doesn't agree with the gender that's chosen, and say the person that wants to get custody can say, "Well, my my daughter wants to be a boy," they can just say that. And if the other parent disagrees, they'll give custody to the parent that wants to do the uh, the sex change, or <laughs> you know, or pursue that avenue of changing the child's gender. So so it's like this evil bill that is being passed in California. It's happening all the time there. The schools, it is pushed and pushed and pushed this narrative uh, to the point the kids are uncomfortable. Like my stepdaughter is really uncomfortable at times dealing with this. But, you know, they're making it frightening. California is turning into just a total, you know, communist, its own country. It's like its own world. And I don't think it's going to spread to the rest of the nation too fast, but I mean, when Elon Musk is stepping up and saying, "Hey, this is really dangerous. This bill that just passed." It's scary. Like is this what is this a demonic force? Like what is what is happening here? I often wonder like is this is a spiritual battle of some kind that must be happening out there in the world right now?
1: Do you not find it like if you look at Trudeau and Biden though, they are big pushers of this agenda and this ideology. So and then mm-hmm. here you have California. Um, like you have to look at, there's a bigger, bigger picture. We might not even see what's going on, but there's a huge picture. They're. I don't know if it's big pharma, like every kid that goes through a hormone um, replacement. I mean, I forget how much money they get. It's it's a money making. Yep. <laughs> I actually thought yep, the other day, they're. I was like, maybe they're just trying to control the population because I forget what the percentage is now that actually consider themselves part of the LGBT community like it's just it's just crazy like
0: it's uh, a tiny percent of people
1: yeah
0: it's not even a very big percent of people but yeah i guess it must be a big money maker but it could also be more of an evil agenda a one world order of sorts i mean we can get conspiratorial about this and talk about did you know the digital currency that's going to be happening and how they're going to be able to maintain and monitor us because we're not going to have any cash anymore right? Once I take that away, I mean, it's just, I just think that where you're at and like what you've dealt with is just like the beginning of this craziness, right? And where it all goes and you're fighting for it. But like you said, there's a bigger picture out there. This is part of something <laughs> that is deeper, that's darker. And and people are going to be so mad at me for all this probably, but it's like, even with global warming, like everything we see, right, is 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 fed to us so that we can you know, spend our money, even with like, you know, the, the vaccine and, and, yeah. and how that worked, you know, get your vaccine. I mean, they're talking about it now. They're talking about the potential for another lockdown.
1: Yeah, that's, I know. I really regret getting the vaccine. <laughs> like, God, if I could go back again and like go through what I did, I would definitely not get it. But, um, but no, the thing is, um, I think a lot of people, so with me, with my sport and me speaking up, that was actually, that was crazy. Like, um, I mean, because no one else was speaking up. I was very alone in the beginning, but yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm seeing a, a trickling effect. I've had so many women now and other sports that are speaking out here in Canada. And, you know, they did a poll yesterday about this um, new policy to protect women in sports and single spaces. 87 people, in, in politics, politics actually voted for it, okay? So I imagine if they took a anonymous kind of poll in my federation, I can guarantee you above 90% of people in my federation would not want men lifting with women. People are so afraid to speak out. And I just keep telling people, speak out. Nothing's going to happen to you. Like, I didn't get canceled. I still have my job. I have never had any hate mail. Like, no, like, seriously, I haven't had any... Media- Two messages in the last two years go to my spam message Mm -hmm. box saying, like, oh, you're transphobic. Oh, wow. Like, you know, brush that off my shoulder. I haven't had anything bad happen to me. So I don't know why these people, like, think like something absolutely horrific is going to happen to them. Like, you you have to stick up for the truth. Like, you have to. Like, because if you don't, and if you don't stick up for women and girls, I mean, it's just going to get way worse
0: we don't want to see women's rights go away you know this is how hard women have worked for the rights that they've earned and then to have it's it's so to have men take it away is so ironic you know to have men that transition taking women's rights away seems like all of the work that was done for women's rights is done in vain it's it's Mm -hmm. absurd like to allow that to happen. So, you know, your work is obviously, you know, really appreciated. And even my wife was saying, make sure you tell her that I appreciate what she's doing and that, you know, it's very brave to to speak out like that. And I, I have to say that too. It's, oh, cool. it's pretty amazing what you're Thank doing. You.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She
0: was pretty excited. She's like, can I come down and talk to her? When <laughs> I was like I, like, I do not know.
1: Looking, I looked at some pictures and I was like snooping your Instagram. She's so beautiful. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, she is. She's beautiful she and is. smart. So there you go. Yeah, she's pretty hot and she's 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 cute and she's really bright. Yeah. Um and and in a different way that compliments me and and that was the thing about recovery that was so cool is I wasn't looking for it. Like I left yeah. recovery and I I was kind of gonna do my own thing I had done the dating app thing which was really weird by the way um, and and I, I kept striking out like getting some really weird situations and it was not fun so I just left it and I said I'm just gonna work right now I'm gonna work on training I'm gonna get in shape I'm gonna train people I'm gonna do all this stuff and sure enough right when you say I'm not thinking about it I don't want love I'm not interested it's when it happens. You know, it's yeah. the old saying is that when you're not looking for it, it comes your way. And there it was. And like, she showed up on the scene. I don't think we've been apart really a day except for the work that I do or she does um, in five years. just been constant.
1: Yeah, I know that's the same with my boyfriend. Um, mm-hmm. I, we actually met on a dating app, but the day mm-hmm. he messaged me, I was actually going to delete it because I was like, oh, I'm sick of this whole thing. I hated it. And then he messaged yeah. me but we met back in 2016 so he was with me during my drinking phase and then we broke up in 2019 because he just couldn't he had kids too right so he's like I just can't have this around my kids this isn't good so we took a break and then I almost feel like my drinking got worse which probably had to happen and then that's when I ended up uh, trying to take my own life and then um I got out and I was sober and I literally just focused on training and doing my own thing. Kind of like what you did. And I think he found that very attractive. He's like, wow, like she's getting better. And he kind of like loved me from afar and we would still see each other. But then after a couple months, I think he felt more, and I wasn't like begging him back or anything. I was just kind of, I got a new job and I was just kind of like independent. I've, I've always been very independent though. And we went back out together in 2020 and we've been together ever since. And he's just so wonderful. Like I, I honestly couldn't even imagine not being with him. Like I just, I, I don't know if I put him up on a pedestal, but he's such a kind hearted person. He's not emotional. Like I am. He's um, probably cause of his job and stuff like that. But he doesn't drink. He's very loving. Um, He's super fit. Like we're both into fitness and eating healthy. Like we just, we're best friends and it's just, I've never had that before. Like all my relationships when I was drinking, I don't know if you were the same, but they're always like kind of on the surface. Like they were never like my best friend. It was mostly just like, Hey, he's good looking. Let's hang out. We'll have sex. That's it. Like it was not yeah. like bond. It was nothing connective. You know what I mean? So
0: no, it was very interesting the first time that I, because I was feeling the emotions. So you went through recovery and and let's go there, emotional sobriety.
1: Mhm.
0: Uh-huh. So what happened? Like you're in there, you're in recovery. Did you start to try to fit did you start to figure out who in the heck you actually are? Did you start to like look at yourself and go, "Wow, this is like I have feelings, these feelings, like I'm connecting with feelings that I've never connected with before because I disconnected from them with the alcohol. I use that as a coping mechanism. And did you start to deal with those feelings and then start to handle them? And once you did, like, did you start to be able to have like a different emotional, like perspective and outlook? And then that's, you think maybe what brought you said that your boyfriend back in because now you're different, right?
1: Yeah. And I, and I think like, when I was drinking, I had such low self-esteem and self-worth mm-hmm. that I think that's what's making me such a good spokesperson now, especially for this stuff in sports is that like, I've realized a, how important life is, but and I mean, I only have this one life to live. Like, and I have self-love and I have self-respect and having that has allowed me to speak out because I mean, I don't have any fear in regards to that. And I think if I had been insecure or no self-esteem, I would never be able to take on this fight. Right. Um, just like I said about lying every day. I know if I lied my, to myself every day, just to appease someone that I would probably drink again, because I live a life of honesty. Like my boyfriend and I laugh about it all the time. Like I can't hold anything. And i will like, I'll, I'll make something for dinner and he hates spicy stuff and I'll put hot peppers in it. And he was like, "Why is it so spicy? It just tastes spicy." I'm like, "I don't know." But then, like two minutes later, I'm like, "Okay, I put spicy pepper." <laughs> like I just, had to, you know, what I mean, like I
0: uh-huh.
1: I can't I can't tell a lie, and I mean that's really helped me. But I think at rehab, um, the best part for me was dealing with my mom's death. Um, I had to write like letters to my mom while I was in rehab. Like it was really hard, and even to this day maybe once every couple of months, I just bawl my eyes out thinking about my mom. Cause I mean, that's the biggest regret that I have in my life is not being sober before she passed away. And I can't, I can't change that. Like it doesn't matter what I do. Um, that was who she knew, right. was drunk April. And I can, you know, I can hope, i um, sorry. <laughs> I can that's hope okay. like, yeah. that she can see me now. And, I feel like I get little signs from her, maybe, um, to say, "Hey, April, I'm with you. I can see you." Um, otherwise, I guess I'll just meet her in, in the great big sky above and be able to see her. And you know, but I mean, it's hard. It doesn't matter how much therapy or self forgiveness stuff you do. It's not like I can go and talk to my dad and say, "Hey, Dad, I've already made amends with him." I'm like dad. I'm, I hope you're proud of me. I'm so sorry for everything I've done. Even to this day, even though I've said story four years ago, I still say, "Dad, I love you. I'm so sorry." And um, but my mom's a different thing, right? But I mean, I can only hope that me being who I am today and being a good person and helping others, like she already said, she always said that to me before she died. Like, don't be sad about me. Just help other people, and then if you help people, it'll make you feel happy. So you won't have a time to be sad. Right. So I try to do that. So,
0: wow. That that's, that's really profound. Your mother said that to you before she passed away. Yeah. Yeah. So she knew, she knew you had something special to offer people.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and she was like that. She was always helping people. So I feel like I'm kind of, she's inside me and we're just doing this together. So, I mean, and of course I, Mm -hmm. I feel like she helped me get sober. I mean, she's, she's my angel. So.
0: There you go. Well, I, 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 that's amazing that your mom had that foresight to look forward and be like, okay, you know, you know, these are my last days. And, and, I know you feel guilty, but have you come to terms with it and, and you've got acceptance now that, you know, that's, that's how it happened. And, and, does that, is that like a driving force for you to move forward? Like you said, like with all this, did it give you a lot? Did it, instead of it destroying you, which I know it does a lot of people, it seems like it empowered you, you know, that's, uh, that's pretty, um, pretty profound to uh, have your mother uh, live on through you like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I I have to be honest. I think without her, there's certain things in my life that don't seem as great. Like, I'm probably going to get married in the next couple of years. And I'm not, like, so super excited about it because I'm not going to have her there Mm -hmm. with me. Um, But I definitely... Do feel her soul with me with this whole she was a fighter, right? And she was always a fighter, even though she was sick, like she had diabetes and then she ended up getting brain cancer. But she was always like running marathons. She was super fit. She would try to do her best. She was such a kind person. She she would cry when she would help. Like I'm the same way. Like if I help someone, I cry because I'm so happy. (laughs) Like, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm just I'm so empathetic for people, and that's how she was. So I do feel like yeah, like she's living through me and, and I can help people, through, you know, she's helping people by using me as a, like a vessel or something, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Did she, did she struggle with your addiction? She, it, did it upset her that you were going down that path?
1: Oh yeah. Like, I mean, she went to Al-Anon. Um, she was always so worried about me and that's, that's the, the hardest part is that she was always stressed out about, Oh, where's April? Is she, is she home safe? Sometimes I wouldn't come home at night. Um, mm-hmm. constantly worrying and I think that's part of my guilt too is that I feel like here's my brain thinking like oh my god I caused her to get cancer because of all the stress that I put her under um, mm-hmm. you know I do I feel guilty about that and you know this <laughs> just how your brain works right like I I have a lot of I still have a lot of anger towards myself and you know I have to work on that for sure but I mean I can't beat myself up. I, I try to keep myself busy. So I don't think about it a lot, but I mean, um, but no, I, you're, I,
0: you're three years in. I mean, you made it three, you're three years sober, right?
1: I have four years coming up next week, actually.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So four, you, are there, you are knocking on the door. <laughs> have you heard the term in AA that five years, your head pops out?
1: <laughs> oh, no. I yeah. don't. Do you, do you go to AA or?
0: I did for a while yeah I did I mean, when I first started, it was like, you know, what else am i gonna do i'm I'm absolutely i was living in a it wasn't the real world. it was like this vortex of hell when I first went into recovery, and it was it was my own personal hell, and I had to walk to to try to rationalize what was going on in my brain, so I'd walk like twenty miles a day. I'd walk like ten miles to an a meeting with my broken neck, and then I would walk you know back to the rehab house and back to the groups at the center and I would do all this stuff. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was awful, but I did, I did AA a little bit and hmm. now I've gotten more into philosophy. I've gotten more into religion and I did have a bit of a spiritual, I did have a spiritual awakening. And I think that is what really motivates me and moved me. And I think I did have that spiritual awakening through humility and through helping other people, like you were saying, like, mm-hmm. Like that's where it's at is really if you want to be happy in your life, right? Take on some responsibility and help other people. That's yeah. the greatest gift, you know?
1: It's so tr- true. I, I couldn't imagine like not trying to help people. Like I don't, it surprises me how people could just go to work every day, nine to five, come home, eat dinner, watch TV, go to bed. Like <laughs> I don't think I can do that. So, no. um, but no, it's funny you said that about religion because I had tried AA in the past and it's just not my thing. Um, I'm not like, I know there's a higher power. I just don't know what it is. And anyways, Mm -hmm. I love Buddhism. I've always been interested in Buddhism and uh, I I buy a lot of books on just being mindful, like learning in my day-to-day life to be mindful for one, because I want to be more aware of my feelings and things that, you know, just around me and stuff and it helps me. But um, I find that being mindful makes time go by slower I said to myself, when I get older, all the days just fly by. Like the summer just flew by and I was like, okay, well if I practice being mindful, I like chew my food slower and do everything, notice everything, my days will just be slower. So it doesn't work. Mm-hmm.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um I I'm mindful. I really am. I try to I try to do things that are effective and that matter. And especially with the people around me. In fact, this podcast and me reaching out to you was, wow, her content is amazing. She is fighting this fight right now. And look at this. She's got a, a post up right now. It's pinned. It said three years sober. Soon it'll say four. Yeah. But I was like, this is amazing. Like, this is like, why did God put me in your path? Like there, th- this is this is a God shot. Like you got right back to me and I reached out to you and I'm like, this is this is meant to be. I'm supposed to be talking to her today and this is not by coincidence this is by design and i truly believe that and i guide myself that way consistently i wake up and i'm i always say just be happy because you i have a higher power that i can turn this over to i'm not in control i learned in recovery i'm not in control of this shit like my 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 ship is it's not mine You know, I mean, I'm just a a vessel here that's, you know, making my way through this, you know, earth that we're on with other people and I'm not really in control of anything, but prior to recovery, I think I tried to control it all, to be honest.
1: Yeah. That was when you said about being in control, but that was the biggest one for me was we talk about acceptance and control. I remember in the AA book, they said that how the whole world is a stage and we're just like actors and players in the stage and we want to control the show and Mm -hmm. that like honestly i i just feel like so much relief now because i had to work on that but i just feel so relieved that i don't have to be in control and you know um i mean i still like i'm a planner i like to control some certain things but i mean that was my biggest thing was acceptance and letting things go for sure
0: yeah for me too i i you gotta, you gotta plan things. I mean, I'm a planner. Yeah. I mean, I plan my, my week. I have a, I have a big corporate job, you know what I mean? I'm the director of digital experience at a corporation. So it's not like I'm just doing this podcast and that's it. You know, I have a job as well. Um, I, I, I love doing that. It's great. It's totally different than what I would have ever expected myself doing. And I think expectations are a big thing too. And emotional sobriety yeah. and sobriety, right? It's like my expectations are directly inversely are, are my expectations are inversely proportional no my serenity is inversely proportional to my expectations so like how are we ever going to have serenity if we have these huge expectations right of what we think is going to happen you know you're never going to have that serenity unless you can manage your expectations and i always expected like i expected pretty much everything (laughs) i don't know about you i had a lot of expectations when i was younger um yeah, I, I've kept you on here forever. Are you still good?
1: Oh, yeah. I'm all good. I was going to say expectations um, lead to resentments, and that's what gets us drunk.
0: <laughs> okay. You're, you're right about that. <laughs> expectations can lead to resentment and bitterness and, you know, no humility either. I mean, humility is like a really big one in recovery, and I don't know that I had a whole lot of humility prior to recovery. I mean, I don't even know that I was really conscious. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that makes
1: sense. Yeah, I'm with you on that one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you were at, like, if you were going to talk to people out there and you're going to say to young people who want to get sober and they're, you know, just say, say somebody's really hurting and they're suffering, you know, what would you say to them to kind of let them know that there is hope?
1: Uh, well, I mean, The number one thing is that because a lot of people, even adults, don't understand that. I mean, people don't like to be vulnerable. So I think it's really important to reach out for help, whether someone's struggling like a young kid, you know, whether they talk to a teacher or tell their parents. I mean, it's okay. Don't have shame in your feeling because trust me, like addiction. I mean, in all the different forms affects so many people um but i'd say the first thing would be to reach out to someone and and ask for help that's how basically i got sober was for asking for help and going to rehab so